Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Squat Cobbler. I am Dr. Mike. You can find me at Official Pagan on everything and joining me as always. Hi, everybody. This is Kelly at K-E-L-L-Y-T-H-U-L on Twitter and Instagram. And now's a good time for us to say this is Squat Cobbler. Like and subscribe. Did you say Squat Cobbler? Like and subscribe? That's right, Kelly. This is Squat Cobbler, and the listeners should like and subscribe. Good advice. <laughs> So this is going to be another one of our playlist prisoner exchanges. And I have to say, going into this one, I was excited to do it, but it actually turned out to be the most difficult one for me so far to kind of put together. So Kelly, before we even get to it, are you a Thomas Dolby guy? So I think the legitimate Thomas Dolby guys out there would not let me in the clubhouse. I am a Thomas Dolby fan, but my familiarity with his catalog is remarkably limited, and your playlist pointed out even further how remarkably limited it was. So I am a Johnny-come-lately bandwagon jumper Thomas Dolby guy, but I like him. (laughs) Nice, nice. So you did enjoy the playlist then? Uh, Very much. Well, I enjoyed five-sixths of the playlist, and... We'll talk about the one I we'll talk about the one I didn't really enjoy very soon, as a matter of fact. Interesting. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so this one was the most difficult for me because I am a big Thomas Dolby fan. The reason it was difficult, most people off the top of their heads probably know Thomas Dolby from She Blinded Me with Science. I'm not a huge fan of that song. So the first thing approaching a playlist like this is something that would be an introduction to an artist. I kind of didn't want to put his most known song on there. And part of it's just because it's not really indicative of what his catalog is. And the second part of that, although I did ultimately include it, and I'll get to why when we get there. Uh, The second part of that was what a lot of the more casual fans won't realize is that Thomas always played with a lot of artists. He's played with bands, not just touring, but in studio, played on records, co-wrote songs. So he, he has a much broader catalog and wider range of music than most people would realize. If you're only familiar with Blinding Me With Science. And then there was another, there was a couple of songs that charted in the US. Hyperactive was one of them. Nowhere near the level of Blinding Me With Science, but that's, you know, doesn't really give you an idea of what you're in for getting into Thomas Dolby, I would say. It really came down to, did I want to just include him as a solo artist? Did I want to include his work with other bands? If I'm including work with other bands, how do I go about that? Because there's there's bands that he's toured with for material that he didn't necessarily write. He toured, in fact, a, a notable one of that, which I didn't include, would be him touring with Roger Waters with them doing The Wall live. And that was actually released as a live album that was very successful, but he wasn't a part of Pink Floyd and the recording of the original Wall. So there was just a lot of weird criteria that I had to kind of keep setting up for myself and breaking, and it just turned into a big mess. So this was, for me, the most difficult one to put together. So I'm glad at least you didn't hate it. I did feel, though, that I should put up front, he he played synthesizer on a lot of gigantic pop rock records <laughs> like really big pop rock records from foreigner to Def leopard interestingly enough on the Def leopard record which was their biggest record of their entire career uh he initially <laughs> did it under a pseudonym whereas all of the other whether it's session work or touring with bands or, or playing with bands everything else he did under his, his actual name so I'm not saying he sang Def Leppard's terrible, but I didn't put them on the playlist. Even though technically, sales-wise, I believe that would be his biggest album. (laughs) But I did decide to kick things off with Foreigner. That was another gigantic record. And I figured if I had to represent, you know, his studio and songwriting work for other bands, I'd rather do Foreigner. (laughs) 
and Def Leppard. Again, not not trying to insult them or their fans, but you know, I'm not a foreigner guy either. Are you, Kelly? I am not. No, yeah, I'm not a foreigner guy. But the reason I chose this particular song is not only was it a giant song that I feel like people probably don't know he was involved in, but knowing that going into it, it's very clear how heavily involved in the song he is because it is filled with him all over the song. And one of the reasons I chose this song, it's not because I'm particularly a fan of the song. We've actually, or Kelly has pointed out to me that we've gotten a couple of comments because of my critique of the use of synthesizers on certain albums that we've reviewed. Is that accurate, Kelly? Yes, with Billion Dollar Baby's <laughs> Battle Axe being the largest defender. <laughs> yeah, so so here's the thing. I am a synthesizer player, so I'm not knocking synthesizers. I'm knocking the way they're used by artists sometimes because when people introduce that and don't really know how to weave it into their sound, it comes off really heavy handed like it does on those records. So what I give foreigner credit for here is introducing Thomas Dolby to the album as a co-writer and plays on the whole record. And this became their biggest record. He, because of his synthesizer background was able to weave it into the song the way it should be done when you're doing that sort of thing. When you're more of a straightforward rock band or pop rock band, he uses it to great effect here to beef up the sound on the big pop rock sing along chorus and add a little bit of atmosphere to the verses when it's toned down a little bit. So that's why I chose this one out of the many large records that he played on. What were your thoughts on this one, sir? So this was of the five, six, this was the one that, I liked, I truly enjoyed and liked every other song on the playlist. I didn't dislike, I don't dislike this song, but I just, I, I, I'm neutral. <laughs> I am neutral because I, <laughs> I think overall, and Dolby had nothing to do with the writing. This is, he, this was strictly the synthesizer work, right? For Jukebox Hero. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I believe he co-wrote the music, but you know, his parts, I don't think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Directing foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If there's an, uh, rock and roll encyclopedia, encyclopedias kids for you, uh, those of you out there used to be when they put things in books that you could refer back to. And if they be like, you printed out Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Hard copy Wikipedia. Super handy. If they did still have those and you had seventies, 80 rock guitar band sound, you know, this is the entry. <laughs> this is this is just completely what it was. It captures kind of every element of that. Uh, the vocals, the the overall delivery of it is there. And so it was just, to me, an unremarkable song, but obviously a very, very popular song. I will give, you know, different lens on it listening to it this time because I'm paying more attention to the synthesizer on it. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, prop, props to that. But, you know, the song itself, I've always been just kind of neutral to, but now I'm, you know, I'm a little warmer to it now that I know that Thomas Dolby's on it and I pay a little bit more attention to that. I mean, it's well executed. It's just, you know, to me, ultimately unremarkable. I completely agree with that. Farner's one of those bands and I'm not knocking them. And honestly, I'm not even that familiar with their catalog. The songs that I do know, the big hits from them though, just kind of blend in with everything else that was coming out at that time. What I will say that stands out about this, being a synthesizer guy and being a Thomas Dolby guy, I think he incorporated synthesizers to their sound in the best way possible. And that's where my critique of bands that I like much better than Farner came in when they kind of didn't know how to evenly blend that into their existing sound. The synthesizers are not overpowering, but they add so much to the sound when you're paying attention to them. Yeah, I'd agree completely with that. And also, I'd like to point out, you've probably never seen Foreigner and Foghat 
in the same room because I think they may be the same band. <laughs> so it's another they thing. Very well could be. I know even less about Foghead other than it, it costs way too much to go and see the band that calls themselves Foghead now. Did I ever tell you that story, Kelly? You did. I forget. I mean, because we had gotten one time where we were talking about cover bands or bands that were touring under a name and... Uh, I forget the exact circumstances, but I think it was like at a, like almost like a, a bar or a, uh, yeah, it was like a little corner sports bar type thing. And they, they had a list of tribute bands that were coming to play. And based on the popularity of the band they were playing songs from was the cover price adjusted for that. So, you know, lesser known bands might have been a $5, $10 cover price. And then when it got bigger, like the Stones, Guns N' Roses, the Beatles, the, the price went up and then the highest was Farner. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm um, sorry, Foghat. See, they do blend together. The highest price was Foghat. And I asked the guy at the bar, like, is Foghat way more popular? And I think they are. And he goes, no, that is Foghat. <laughs> <laughs> or Foreigner. I'm not sure. Or, or whatever. <laughs> He's like, no, no, that is that band. They're coming to play. Which at that point, it was like some guy who was in the band at some point who now owns the name touring with a completely different set of musicians. Yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Yeah, but I mean, technically, is the band Foghat slash Foreigner? <laughs> See, two bands. You got You're getting two bands for one, so you got to pay that a little bit extra on the cover charge. Worth it. <laughs> for anybody who's curious, I believe it was like a thirty or thirty-five dollar cover charge, just in case you're a Foghat slash Foreigner fan. All right, so that brings us to uh, a Thomas Dolby song proper, "The Devil's an Englishman." This is a favorite of mine. Unlike most of his material, which you would think, I guess, would be in this this sort of weird, quirky, kind of like new wave vein based on Blinding the Science. Most of it's actually not like that at all. So this is one of the few songs that sort of falls into that vein. But it actually, so knowing the backstory, I think makes it even better. Not only do I think it's a fun song, but uh, it actually was released to coincide with the movie Gothic. Have you ever seen that, Kelly? I have not. Okay, so it's a it's a Ken Russell film starring Julian Sands and Gabriel Byrne. It is a biopic of Lord Byron, the poet, and specifically the writing competition. He started with Percy Shelley that ultimately led to a number of horror books being written. The most famous Mary Shelley's Frankenstein came out of that. Really good movie. I'm a huge, huge Ken Russell fan. Main reason that I wanted to kind of work on movies at some point, which I, I did, critics critically beloved films i would say that i've gotten to work on <laughs> national treasures everyone national treasures but the real like main reason but one of the main reasons behind that was i was such a huge ken russell fan as a kid and when i was i guess i maybe just started college i was given an opportunity to actually like spend some time with him and his family and learned a lot from him and so this is my roundabout way of saying blame him if you were really offended by faces of snuff <laughs> um, but a huge fan of his work one of his best movies i would say gothic thomas dolby actually did the score to that and the score is very much it, i would say if you were to listen to it you would see how it influenced me it's very dark very atmospheric big swelling gothic kind of discordant sounds to coincide with that he decided to to release like a new wave pop song single that obviously is nothing like the rest of the record when he, which is, which is basically a dark ambient type record. He used samples from the movies, which again, familiar if you're familiar with my stuff and he used a heavy dose of Julian Sands in this, which 
I'm a big Julian Sands fan, and uh, the woman of the bunker is a particularly huge Julian Sands fan. And we were doing an event with Julian Sands, so I was able to to make her childhood dreams come true and arrange some some quality time for her to to meet Julian Sands and, and talk with him. So, which is a very fond memory of mine. Um, so I'm just a really big fan of it. And I'm a huge Byron fan in general. My second tattoo that I ever got is a portrait of Byron as a gargoyle that is on my lower back. It's my tramp stamp. <laughs> what were your thoughts on this song, sir? Yeah, let me let me just clear clear the vision for a second. I gotta. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I was. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, liked it. Like everything else. Everything else on here, I enjoyed quite a bit. Uh, it's funky, uh, that kind of funky techno stuff. It's not, it's like, oh yeah, this is, you know, she blinded me with science part two. It's not, I mean, it's, it's clearly distinct and different, but it has some of the underpinnings of the techno and the, and the funky stuff going on. I actually believe, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but his, the vocal delivery, particularly at the front portion of the song, is akin to Tim Curry. Uh, and you go back to kind of the Tim Curry, I do the rock. Uh, kind of stuff and it, it's got it has flavorings of that i just thought it was slight there the stranger connection i'm gonna make with you is so mike are you a haywood haywood banks guy i'm gonna say no okay enlighten me sir so haywood banks is he's actually a comedian does music for most of uh his stuff bob and tom which is kind of a I'm pretty confident it's mostly a Midwest-centered radio show, brings on comedians a lot, uh, and so Haywood's a regular visitor, and one of the things that Haywood plays, so Big Butter Jesus is one of his songs where there's this large statue of Jesus in Wisconsin that looks like it's made out of butter. It's not, I don't think. But then another song he has that's very famous is called Toast, and he plays it on a toaster, you know, so it's a percussion on a toaster as he sings this song about toast, and as you get into some of the, it's not really rap, but it's kind of a kind of a quick staccato delivery later in the song. The pentameter of uh, Devil is an Englishman is remarkably close to the French toast chorus of toast. <laughs> so it was, it was uh, interesting that way. So it's just, it's just, I kind of, as I heard, I go like, and I've heard this kind of beat structure of the, the you know the delivery of the word the wording the pentameter i'd heard this kind of before and so just saw that little click it really threw me for a little bit because i kept going what's the song what's the song and i go oh it's toast i i really did enjoy it it was just some interesting little it hearkened me to took me to some other places here and there but i really did like this song quite a bit matter of fact i mean i would have would have anticipated because i really do enjoy she blinded me with science quite a bit i think it's a very cool song i really enjoy it but I actually think this one kind of nudged it out for me. And I'd say of this playlist, even with having She Blinded Me With Science on it, I'd say this is probably my favorite song. Nice. It, it is a favorite of mine. Not at all indicative of the album Gothic that it comes from, which is a dark ambient record. <laughs> but I do like that he juxtaposed that with this single. And like I said, big fan of Byron, big fan of Ken Russell movies. So everything about this works for me. And Nest of Tiny Scorpions Braiding in My Cranium is a great line. If I had to get a, a Dolby tattooed lyric. Yeah, that's going to need to probably be done in a circle around something. You got to have some light. You got to have some landscape to get all that in there. But it's good. It's great. <laughs> it's good. All right. So that brings us to our next song on the playlist, Armageddon. So this is all right. 
<laughs> another complicated Thomas Dolby thing. So you would think the album that she blinded me with signs on would be his biggest, at least solo record, because it's nowhere near, you know, Foreigner and Def Leppard and The Wall Live and all that kind of stuff. But you would think that would be his biggest solo record. It's not. It's this record, <laughs> Gate to the Mind's Eye. But it didn't have any radio songs off of it. So in the early 90s, there was a series of albums and videos called Mind's Eye series. And there's, I don't even know how many, I want to say at least four of these. And what they did was the producers chose, was these film producers who were experimenting with early CGI. And they chose different artists to record an album and then they would make a video for every song on the album to release as a film to coincide with the album. And then the films became so popular that they bits and pieces of them, because they would show at film festivals and things like that, and they won all these accolades and awards. Bits and pieces of them were picked up and used in other media. So like bumpers for MTV, they were used in commercials. There were actual feet like Hollywood feature films that took clips from the Mind's Eye series and used them in different things. So what ended up happening, particularly for the Thomas Dolby entry, is the videos and hit some of his audio were used in so many things that it ultimately led this to be, I believe it's double platinum now, this release. So it actually, with no radio song or no hit song off of it, is by far his biggest selling solo record in the US by like an extreme long shot. So it's it's always funny to me because it, it's not a record that I, I think only maybe his hardcore fans would talk about or know songs off of. But chances are, if you were to actually watch the film or listen to the entire album, you've definitely seen things from it. Like I said, Hollywood movies, commercials, bumpers on TV stations. So there's just so much of it that was recycled and licensed out to everything. It sort of reminds me in a way, are you familiar with Moby? Yes. So Moby was like this little known indie artist for years and years and years. And then he made a record and decided he was going to license it to anybody who asked. And it, it actually holds the record as the most licensed record of all time. <laughs> Basically, anybody who give him money, you could use a song off of it. So his songs ended up being in everything, movies, commercials, radio, anything that you could put it on because he was just, you know, if you had money, you could use his music. But it, it propelled that album to huge sales that he, and this isn't a shot at Moby, not that I'm particularly a fan or anything, but it propelled that album to sales that he never got anywhere near ever again because, because of that sort of saturated exposure. So that's sort of what happened to this, but years before, just because it, the material was used in so many other things. Personally, even though it's not the best known track or, or one of the more licensed tracks off of it, this is my favorite off of that particular project. What did you think of that song, sir? Well, uh, so I, I need to tangent on Moby for a second because I, I probably was with you and not being like a gigantic fan, at least. But he won me over uh, with his portrayal in the movie Suck as the lead singer of the Secretaries of Steak, who were a band uh, featured in there who threw pieces of meat out at their audience, made even more interest given Moby's kind of strident position on vegetarianism. So props to Moby for being the lead singer of Secretaries of Steak. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, Armageddon. So this, you know, I didn't know exactly what to expect, but I had kind of at least a vision of what, what might be coming. And as this song started to play, I said, yeah, this is kind of what, if I'm getting a Thomas Dolby playlist, this is kind of more in the range of what I thought it would be. This was the, the first, because the, the first, obviously the first two, very different. They are, I think, a little too 
cheerleady about Armageddon. It's the, the one time that, that I've heard Armageddon <laughs> in a course where it's kind of like, give me an A, give me an Armageddon, you know, not quite, <laughs> but they're, they're, it's a peppy, it's a peppy Armageddon, but also a really cool textured song that kind of keeps with kind of more traditional structure, then goes into some more ex- uh, experiential and experimental stuff. Some ambient noise kind of comes into it. The female vocal on this is super solid. She's great. And then this kind of nice little nugget at the end where you go into it. And I don't know if it's, I don't, it's not really a Gregorian chant, but you get this kind of intonation at the end, at the very end of the song. That's cool. So you got all these kind of nice little stops uh, through the whole thing. And it's a, it's a well-constructed song. All right. So moving right along. So again, struggling. I really wanted to include something that he did with Bowie. Even though he didn't play on Bowie Records, uh, he and David Bowie were fans or friends. I'm sorry. He was a big fan of David Bowie, became friends with David Bowie, and he ended up touring with him and doing a lot of big shows, including the famous Live Aid performance that Bowie did with him doing synthesizers and backing vocals and all that. So I did decide to use a song from that. And I used one in particular where he's introducing the band and mentions Dolby. This was also one of the most televised clips, I would say, when you see clips from Bowie's Live Aid performance is usually pulled from this or one of there's like a few songs that they they pull from and i've seen this one so many times it seemed like an obvious choice for it but if you search dolby and bowie you'll find all kinds of stuff they did together and also uh after bowie's death dolby did some, some bowie covers and stuff in his live shows and you can find some footage of really good performances of bowie songs that he did as a tribute to him so i thought this was a good one to include on there your thoughts sir so it's heroes heroes is a great song it's a great song written by two of our favorites david bowie and brian eno so another win there what's not to love <laughs> really cool to uh see him introduce the band and and see dolby there uh, performing with them on there and it's a great performance what and i'm I'm basing this insight on YouTube comments. <laughs> so, so I'm on uh, the shakiest ground possible, but I believe Bowie followed Queen. And as folk, probably most folks know, Queen had a pretty good day uh, at Live Aid. And so he was, uh, if you had to think about who could come on after somebody has just really kind of hit it out of the park, stole the show, who can walk on after them and, uh, kind of hold his own well david bowie's a really good choice and david bowie with thomas dolby and toes an even better choice i love the performance it's a great song i'll always always enjoy it uh and it was a great is a great clip and if it's true based on youtube comments that bowie followed queen it's also kind of an interesting little tidbit yeah i did not know that but i mean i can't think of anybody better than bowie to follow queen fog hat well <laughs> i assume they closed That's right. <laughs> fog hat slash foreigner Dolby yeah. did double duty with four. <laughs> you know, you know who wasn't at Live Aid, Mike? Who's that? Hanson. <laughs> they don't care. True. Hanson was not at Live Aid. Not at Live Aid. Totally ditched Live Aid. <laughs> All right. So moving right along, uh, we have to the lifeboats. This is a little bit different, a little bit maybe softer, particularly in the beginning, although it does pick up in the second half of the song. I really like this song. I think it has a weird cool kind of atmosphere to it and i had heard the song before but really what gave me a more of an appreciation for it was seeing it played live this is a staple of his live shows and live it's incredible it brings just like we said with the alice cooper stuff you know starting with great songs and then when you see them play it live and has kind of that extra edge to it makes it that much better this is one of those songs 
when you see it played live with the live band and having that more raw kind of sound to it just adds a lot to it a decidedly uh non-thomas dolby like beginning to it <laughs> you know it, it definitely <laughs> has a entirely different vibe kind of acoustic guitar and and uh, uh, kind of a cool but kind of slow intro. And to, to your point, it builds. I think it's good. I think it's a really good song. I think it's lyric. The, the lyrical story being told uh, is great. I think it's a very. I think it's a compelling, interesting piece of work. But in the, the, the contrast of kind of starting off slow and then building up into this other sound. Another place. How familiar are you with XTC, the band? Only a few songs. Yeah, I thought I'm a pretty big fan of theirs. So spoiler in terms of future prisoner exchanges or songs, uh, you're probably going to be getting a pretty steady diet of XTC at some point in time. But I'm a big fan of theirs. And I did when once things pick up, there are at least little hints of that, that a little bit of that same kind of sound that I love so much with XTC had a little bit of that kind of flavoring, but a really good, good song. Great set of lyrics, a lot of diversity in the song. Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. All right, so that brings us to the final song in the playlist, the song I really struggled with including on here. Not because I dislike it, but just because I don't feel like it's necessarily the best vehicle to kind of show off what Dolby's capable of and some of the things that he's done in his career. But I did come across this version of it because I I figured if I was going to include it, I would probably rather include a live version because I I feel like live Dolby stuff is, is elevated to a completely different level. One of the greatest live shows I've ever attended was Thomas Dolby. Uh, I don't want to get too much into what the show is like because I, something tells me we may be doing a live concert show at some point. So I don't, I don't want to get too much into it, but it was a long show, but it was incredibly entertaining from start to finish. He's very, very engaging with the audience. And this was actually not a, there's tons of live performance clips you can find of this song. This is not at a concert. This is him accepting an award, um, a lifetime achievement award from Roland, the equipment company. And he, as he's doing it, he's kind of talking through how their keyboards played a part in him writing this song. And he starts, you know, playing the song and, and sort of giving like deconstructing it and breaking down like how he put the different pieces of it together and then plays the actual song without his live band, like just him and a keyboard doing it, which again, it's a keyboard event. So it makes sense for that. But that is kind of how his shows are. Like you get a lot of like storytelling and a lot of, you know, behind the scenes kind of stuff. And then, you know, really just good live performances with him and his band. Really, really, really impressive live performer. This, this, and again, this is just an awards ceremony thing. So it's not a real live show, but if you're able, if anybody listening to this is ever able to get a chance to see him. And unfortunately I have noticed that his ticket prices are, are not the cheapest, but I would say worth the expense. So I, I will keep an eye out because I would very much like to to see him. I've always been a big fan of this song. I, I really appreciate the the clip you included. And so for the listeners out there, you know, we, we assume you've already liked and subscribed to the channel. But what you will find on the channel is each of these playlists. So it's basically the list of videos that Mike and I share back and forth as we prep prep to do this. And there'll be the playlist out there with these six songs on there. And this one is definitely uh, worth the time because you get, you know, it, couple things one you always kind of if there's an artist you kind of like 
you always kind of hope they're not a complete jerk <laughs> and and you can just kind of tell by how he conducts himself and how he interacts with folks that he just seems like a really pleasant engaging smart guy a little self-deprecating good sense of humor and really obviously very very knowledgeable and he does talk about his love of synthesizers and how that all grew up and it's just very very interesting and then talking through how he secured the scientist voice the whole backstory on that's hilarious and uh, playing some of the initial clips and everything he did and then the version that he plays in this live one which i think was recorded like in uh, 2018 not only do you have the typical science that you get from uh and i can't remember the name of the he's an actual legit scientist but uh the uh pike i think was his last name you know he's there but he's updated it subsequently and you get a fine jesse pinkman from breaking bad yeah science <laughs> is one of them and uh a hillary clinton science comment from i'm assuming it was probably one of the debates or something but but it was uh it was pretty cool that you you actually had some other recognizable clips with science in it that was was pretty cool so some neat little nuggets there it's just fascinating and to kind of get a little bit of the back you basically he basically deconstructs the song explains how he kind of put it together and it's cool and you better watch this one and enjoy it because if you're going on to youtube looking to see the original video you're not gonna find it at least i haven't been able to find it yet um it seems oh, really see i didn't even look for the original video nope, went straight for a live clip there's one out there i found one copy that had 15 to 20 seconds of the song uh and that was that was basically it so i'm assuming somebody's got that pretty much buttoned up from a rights perspective and are, are pulling down you know, off of youtube right and left this is a worthwhile alternative and, and informative as well so uh enjoyed it quite a bit and I would say, like, the reason I chose this clip in particular is the interaction with the audience and kind of deconstructing the song. That's very much what his live show was like. So imagine that on a much grander scale with a live band and a crazy stage show and all that good stuff. So you enjoyed this playlist, sir? I did very much. It was it was fun, and I'll have to probably be looking into adding to my catalog of his stuff, and I'll definitely be looking for a live show. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Um, the show in particular that we'll get to in more detail later, uh, Thomas Dolby actually made a documentary called The Lighthouse. And it was about it was a documentary about his hometown, but really it turns into a documentary about how our memories aren't really what we remember. Like we we kind of fill in the blanks on certain things and it starts because he was making a documentary about this lighthouse in his hometown and he remembers being a little kid and this gigantic lighthouse and it just bathing his room in bright light in the middle of the night and all this stuff. And then as an adult going back to his hometown and the lighthouse is much, much smaller than what he remembered. And there was no way it was filling his room with light the way that he remembered it. So it becomes more of like a deconstruction of what our memories are from our childhood versus what things really were like. And uh, what was really interesting when I saw him is they showed the documentary with him and his guitar player doing the score live to the documentary as it played and having people come out and do the the Foley sound effects work live on stage. Oh, very cool. While the documentary played. And then they did a Q&A with the audience and then came back out and did a full live set. That's a full evening. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a whole night with Tom Stillway. When you when artists use the evening with title, no one's ever used it the way that, that Thomas Dolby has. He's taking taking it to heart. 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was an excellent, excellent show, though. And you got, even during the live set, you got a lot of audience interaction, like you see in this clip. Deconstructing songs, talking about what was going on around the time that he recorded those songs. So just an, a great live performer. And I felt like you got a little bit of that in this clip, and that's why I wanted to include that. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I hope at this point everybody's liked and subscribed. Go check out some Thomas Dolby stuff. You can probably skip that Def Leppard album. Um, like I said in the beginning, he actually did it under a pseudonym originally. And then when the record got huge, now it says Thomas Dolby on there. Um, but originally it was under a pseudonym. Also, too, you just like the giant Thomas Dolby record that he doesn't really get enough recognition for that Armageddon was off of, uh, Gate to the Mind's Eye. There's something else that he doesn't get enough recognition off of that we all carry around a little piece of Thomas Dolby with us and our cell phones. Uh, his company invented cell phone ringtone. Hmm. Hope he pets with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his um. So he started an audio company. They came up with the sound cards for cell phones. Oh, nice. That that allow that. cell phones to have digital ringtones, including music clips and all that. But yeah, so that's why cell phones went from the big Miami Vice style bricks that you held up to your ear to the cell phones we have now. Thank you, Thomas Dolby. <laughs> yeah. So he's done a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what Hanson's invented? <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> not what part of a cell phone is hansen responsible for it none of it none of it <laughs> nobody's blinding them with science that's right <laughs> that's good we got a lot of we got some good hansen action this episode we, <laughs> we definitely we, did we've been laying off them a little bit so we need to get back to the war so all right <laughs> all right well unless you have anything to add sir i do not all right so I just want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure you liked and subscribed. Squat Cobbler. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Squat Cobbler, like and subscribe. Alright, I'm gonna stop the broadcast. <laughs>